So hello and welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast. It's this week on Planet Internet. Today I have Amy Tom with me, like hello little lady, and we have said hello. to Azaz, salam alaikum. Hey. about decentralization what it means to somebody or some organizations who might not have been digging down the mines of cryptocurrencies and blockchains for years and years to come but it's more from the perspective of where the next million or the next billion people to cryptocurrencies to blockchain technologies and to decentralization in general are going to come from for that we want to get a fresh perspective on what decentralization means and where is the road taking us so without further ado i'd like to pass the mic back to amy and let's hear what she has to talk about decentralization what it means to her wow what a question that is a loaded one so i have a lot of thoughts on decentralization i think that it's definitely important and i am all about more power to the people and less power to the jeff bezos's of the world so i am all for decentralization of businesses of like money of power yes love it i'm here for this movement i'm on board Right. I have this small joke to make. So decentralization is like this movie corner, right? It has so many actors, like all of them oh equally gosh. important. Nicholas Cage, <laughs> the most important actor of all time. There are no most important people in decentralization. <laughs> Nicholas Cage yeah, is just one of the I have just watched one movie on uh, Nicholas Cage and that too in a bus. Mm. And then I <laughs> didn't have any I haven't even seen that one because there, there was this big screen in front of me and I couldn't do anything I couldn't help it and <laughs> it was about uh, the other guy was the priest guy the person who uh, is oh, John Travolta ah exactly and they mm. removed each other's faces oh face I, off face <laughs> off exactly <laughs> that was my first and last <laughs> Don't <laughs> <laughs> no, listen. He is great. He actually, Nicholas Cage is definitely for the decentralization movement because yeah. he's like the most like average of all time, just really striving for everyone to be in the middle. And if everyone was more average like Nicholas Cage, the world would be a better place. Let's all be Nicholas Cage's right millions of dollars. Who'd say no to that? But moving on, so. Sidra, what does like decentralization like mean to you? What bells yeah. does it ring for you? I'll I'll take a little bit of philosophical take, and of I've course. written uh, something uh, for about decentralization. For me, it is a socialist dream, like it is uh, a promise to transfer power from the tech giants back to the people, and it is like freedom, trust, and what you say, giving strength back to the people. 
and that is a great thing this is very interesting now because mm-hmm. i have really smart people on my panel for those of you who don't know like sidra used to be a phd so tell me a phd dropout actually you didn't have to say that we will get that edited out no worries <laughs> okay i was going to say wait how do you used to have a phd if you like the way i see it is that if you have a degree but you don't profess it for example i have a degree oh, from dentistry but i don't practice it so do i still call myself didn't... from the industry no i don't exactly tell that to my parents indian parents <laughs> their son decides not to be a doctor but yeah coming back so what i want to say was that we have really smart people on the panel so how do you feel when the power is equally distributed among everybody because now there is no meritocracy so imagine if what you have to say has the same weight as somebody else with i don't want to go into their education but let's say that they have a very baser point mm. to make they don't really that's, understand what they want to talk about that's, like that's politics the point that's the point that it, that we have to think about because there are many questions that arise with that uh, questions of censorship mm. we cannot censorship hate speech or some other crimes like child pornography or mm-hmm. things like that so yes giving power to everyone can malicious people can take an advantage of that mm-hmm. but technology might enable decentralization in a way that uh, we may control things like that in in a certain way there, there is need of a little bit of censorship or control in a, in in some way i believe mhm mhm got listen, it listen yeah the people already are evil and have power so it doesn't matter if everyone else gets the power cuz they're already there anyways <laughs> wow <laughs> thank you for bringing the mood up of this meeting uh, for those of you who don't know avi is the one who usually brings a lot of panache and energy to the meeting i don't know what broke her today but hopefully she'll be back very and it's a very interesting conversation that Sidra brought up about censorship and how things work like take the case of artificial intelligence what they basically do is they feed a lot of data points to a let's say an algorithm or a product or a user and that then uses their own algorithms to create certain things like we had we have those chatbots microsoft built one called tay i have the tweet over here if i'm not wrong exactly. right so the account is now protected uh, uh-huh. it's tay and you tay and you like people and... actually poisoned tay into a racist nazi exactly and... <laughs> but <laughs> guess what like it guess what tay was built off of a, a technology called shawice shawice was built by again microsoft in china they are using it to give out weather reports they don't have the weather girls or the weather men or the weather people in china at least one channel they use this one ai bot shawice it works over there why does it work over there because let's say instant censorship the second it like mention something bad it goes out tiananmen square goes out and because i mentioned it this podcast might now be censored in china <laughs> anyways the point which i'm trying to make is that massive censorship can have a very similar effect to what you would want just world to be like and at the other end no censorship could leave 
could lead to a very dystopian future where okay. nobody wants to live. How do we harmonize the two? Amy, let's hear you on that. No, there's no dystopian. Everything is beautiful. Everyone <laughs> loves each other and everyone gets along and it's all great. But you said that there are like bad people. The world is already <laughs> fucked in a way. You said that, right? Okay. Yeah. Yes, this is true. But how do we coexist with bad people today? They just integrate into society. I don't know. Mm. All right. So, okay, let's move on to the next thing, which is like the biggest thing why decentralization uh, took hold or why Bitcoin became something. It stems from the 2008 housing loan crisis or the subprime mortgage loan crisis or whatever you want to call it. And that was when people realized that what they were thinking to be personal finance, my savings, my deposits, what I have as stocks, was pretty much being used to gamble by the people in the high towers or the people in the banks or whatnot. So this movement like came up where it says we don't really need banks. Let's take the power back to ourselves. I become the arbiter of my fate. And that leads to something called social finance, where really smart people like you guys can pool your money together or decide together. They are things such as a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization, what it does basically is it takes the decisions based on what you tell it. So it wouldn't be the entire world. It wouldn't be the bad people as Amy call it, but only those people in the same DAO where Amy's and their, the people in the DAO have similar interests. So that leads us to uh, something called a social finance. Where would you guys like want to be? Like, what side of the fence would you guys want to be? Would you want to be on the side of personal finance, where let's say you deposit your money in the banks, 90% of that is given away by the banks to people who want to borrow money, and they do it with reckless abandon, to put it mildly? Or would you want it to be in a system like a DAO, where people like you take decisions? on matters where you have an actual say. Wow. Let's start what with Sidra on that. Question. <laughs> All my questions would be leading. Let's start. <laughs> I'm for social finance. Hence You're now. for social finance. See, oh, really? This, this first example they have given in this article, Rotating Savings, in which they have described history of social finance. And actually, such things in Pakistan, it has been happening through century. Us women do this thing that is called committee. And we uh, combine our... Uh, also, you must be the best thing that has happened to women because we something that we cannot afford. We can like gather money together. And every m- month, each woman gets a chance to spend that money. And that's a great thing, I believe. It's totally a very nice thing. Like I have seen credit being used in manners. Like I have, my mother belongs to a lot of these committees or pity parties. And a lot of these women, they used to rotate these money. It empowers women. Exactly. Exactly. It does. Like they use that to fund their own businesses, to Mm. like buy stuff for the house, to get a new car. And it's a very, like it has. put in some money every month? Yeah. Perform so Hajj. Yeah. In a Muslim uh, community, usually women perform Hajj on these, using wow. these committees. So, oh. 
Nice. What's it called? A kitty party? Or uh, a comedy party or a committee? A committee. Ooh, okay. Right? That's nice because how does like something that is like let's say something close to uh, somebody they use it, and it's like written in your scriptures that you need to do that. So it's nice. It's not wasteful. It's not a wasteful expense as like some other people might do in India. Like we have something very similar, where it says that whatever government grants need to be given, it would be given to the eldest women of the family. It wouldn't be given to the man because when you give man money, they spend it on alcohol, drugs, or whatever. Right? It's a <laughs> it's a world over thing. So they were like, okay, we will go to the people who are more responsible, and there is a very good effect for that. So what happens is that women are less likely to cheat based on like facts and figures. I'm not pulling stuff out based on preconceived notions, but more on they are less likely to cheat when there are when there is this social construct around it, just like this. What do you have to say about that, Amy? Are you on the side of personal finance or are you like on the side of social finance? How could I be on the side of personal finance after the banks are giving away all of our money carelessly to people? <laughs> I theoretically am on the side of social finance for the movement. I'm all there, but like all of my money is in the bank. Like actually, I guess personal i'm on the side of personal finance because i'm voting where my money is and yeah that's really got to change though and that makes sense leads us to this where if you have more personal freedom because amy lives in canada and i live in india so where there is like more personal freedom where there is more transparency where banks can be less likely to play truant because of all of these controls checks and balances people are more likely to trust these organizations and maybe just maybe the DAOs of the worlds are very similar to banks based out of canada i might be getting it wrong but i guess the direction that i'm going i going towards might help in a particular manner but with that let's talk about social credit so when there is social finance now what amount of money you can access depends on social credit uh would you want to be held to a social credit of sorts or would you want to be trusted on your merit like first among equals stuff like that sidra expertise on the topic so I, I don't yeah, I don't know what you mean by social credit. Okay. So basically everybody has a credit score, right? Like it could be whatever names we have in these places that we live and every credit score basically says that you are eligible to take out loans of this certain amount. So mm -hmm. when there is this thing called a social finance now instead of one person having like authority over their own credit score it is the society that has this credit score so you might be an outlier you might be somebody who is brilliant exceptional but your credit score might be lower just because you you like live in a bad neighborhood is that acceptable and if not how can we fix again i guess there should be a little bit of check and balance Mm -hmm. But for me, first, if you say personal choice, I'm okay with it. Mm. I'm okay with that because I guess that we have a limited life to live, right? And everyone has their own like priorities. And for me, perhaps money is <laughs> not on the top priority. 
So I can share that. Totally I, understandable. I can understandable. What do you have to say on that, Amy? Are the people that are deciding who can have the loan or not qualified to do, or are they just like regular everyday people? There is no such thing as a qualification now, cause it's all based on like your social standing. Oh, okay, that's quite alarming. Because okay, what if I say something dumb on the podcast and then everyone is wow, she's dumb. Let's cancel her, and then I'll never get a loan. You cannot get you cannot get cancelled because of decentralization think of it like that everybody makes mistake if i were to count i made five before this podcast started and that's just the last one hour right should i feel bad about it or should i learn from it and move on should that mistake be the defining factor for me me to you i say no me to an internet stranger i say i don't care <laughs> you don't get your loan right I hear you. You I are bad. You. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bad I people don't you. get money. <laughs> I hear you. I don't know what you'll do with that money. I hear you. But like, if these questions sounded hard, they were meant to be. And I have a confession to make. So these are the kind of questions that the decentralized world or the people from who are building these DAOs are struggling with till date. They have been trying to find the answers to these questions for the last five years or six years. Some of the smartest people in the world, and they struggle with these questions daily. And there have been cases where they thought that they had the right answer, and then some hacker came onto the internet and was like, "Okay, this sounds like a mistake. Let me take out some money out of it." Millions of dollars have been lost because they weren't able to get the right answer. Yeah, that is in a nutshell some of these questions that these decentralized companies are trying to find. What exactly is decentralization? What exactly is censorship? How is it that we take the good of the society without affecting or without falling into the trap of what is known as the tragedy of the commons so hopefully like people will listen to your thoughts and and the podcast on this matter and find a solution somewhere down the line hopefully because i have a lot of money in crypto so yeah <laughs> not in the banks I'll move well, over to what the... are your thoughts on this then on the DAOs and its benefits? I don't know. Like I have my experiences with DAOs, and my take on this matter is that DAOs move too slowly for my liking. Every decision needs to have a consensus. Every decision taken will have a lot of people questioning you, and there are no. Objective facts that you can point to them and say, "Hey, so this is why that decision was taken." For every people saying yes, there would be an equal amount of people saying no. People outside this industry or from outside your society can always come in, pay some people off, influence the voting. Like now, I have to worry about a lot more people than about one people when there is. one figurehead we can take them out via elections or in certain countries like guatemala where they assassinated the the president they could do that but when it is decentralized 
it would take a genocide to get the bad actors out a lot of people with good intentions at least according to them try to make a world a better place for their own people and they what they ended up doing was called a genocide so i guess we would have a similar problem when decentralization comes into a larger picture where we would need to have multiple figureheads but we would still need to have figureheads and when we have figureheads is it even decentralization yes that's that is the question so that's what i'm saying i am comfortable with the idea i love yeah. the concept that i am not beholden to some person's power like probably because i don't believe in god or whatever but at the end of the day it boils down to this i would still need to be beholden to somebody now who is that somebody if i don't mm. know that if i can't if i can't influence them to take a decision in my favor should i even worry about that why not mm. clock out which is what most of these bitcoiners do they don't care about blockchain they don't care about decentralization it is the ethereum side of the world on the bitcoin side of the world they are like my money is now on my phone and it is not in in like any of these banks i can do whatever i want to do with it yeah too many unanswered questions too many unanswered questions is the exact summary that i should have gone on with if i had a few brain cells thank you Amy. excellent <laughs> you were supposed to say no you have a few brain cells oh no now i want to go over like what i touched upon earlier which was about ais and decentralization right so where's your uh, thought process on that this story by oscar w it asks a few pertinent questions right it says that we live in a world that is very data oriented and the people who have the most data have also been fined the most amount of money for breaking rules would you think that the people like i'm sorry the tech giants the tech giants they have the data the tech giants yeah and they have the control exactly so some of the smartest people in the world they decide to break the law first of all why they are already billionaires what do they want they want to be trillionaires or like is there a benefit for breaking the law because if they are being fined they probably broke the law i don't think that they're necessarily breaking the law on purpose but cybersecurity is such a slippery slope and these organizations are huge so i would imagine that like even one back door could like open up a wide range of vulnerability i'll make it simple for you you have a facebook profile let's say it's the 2010s and you have a facebook profile and facebook decides that whatever information you have posted on your profile can be accessed by a mobile app or some application built on facebook they say that okay if you check these boxes you can become a facebook app so you say hey i'll play this game what personality type am i by cinderella or whatever other fairy tale is you play that game you answer five questions in return they get all of your data they know what pages you like they know what people you engage with is that ethical does it take a really smart person to say hey that sounds about wrong An idiot would say that this is wrong and these are very smart people who said 
that's okay i got paid for it the jokes on you for using my social media platform nothing yeah. is free in this world nothing is free nothing is free in this world <laughs> like that i get but it's this responsibility that like these are the kind of things that led us down to the uh, path where we are thinking decentralization would be a solution you have just resurrected a deep memory in my brain uh, mm. from probably the 2010s of me using Facebook to do all of the quizzes and I am so deeply ashamed. <laughs> it's okay. Everybody did that. Right? Like I when totally I totally got... forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Like when I got Facebook, it was 2008, you had to have a college ID. I had just gotten into college. and you had to invite 20 friends to facebook before you could use any of their apps uh-huh. every time i had to use an app i had to tag 20 people i did that twice and then i was like should i keep spamming my friends <laughs> because i want to know what personality type am i <laughs> <laughs> right but that brings us to decentralized artificial intelligence now imagine instead of a jeff bezos who amy very who amy allegedly hates or a person oh, like oh no it's not alleged okay i <laughs> i wanted to use the word alleged <laughs> who is the person we all hate like people on a certain political spectrum hate so how does that reconcile with the fact that these are the people who are making all of these decentralized ai software because it needs the kind of resources that you and i might not have so it is these smart people saying i'll build something that takes me out of the picture but we have examples of these people not taking themselves out of the picture uh, is there something that we can do to solve this syndrome Actually, I want to share another article with you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is also published here, and there is this way that let me share it with you. It is putting the blinders on it. I have written a little bit of detail about it. It is Dr. Michael, Chief Research Officer and Dean and Head of Department of Computing and Imperial College, London. Wow! So he has just tried this technology that's Edge AI. it is like processes of the processing of ai algorithms on edge that is on users devices mhm this is the data will remain on users devices and it is a concept that strive from edge computing that starts at the same premise that data is stored is processed and it is processed over there so mm-hmm. i guess this technology will be the answer and data will remain at the source and will not be used by these tech giants or be stored or stored by them i'm sorry yes please i was saying for the understanding of normal people can you explain what edge computing is okay it is uh, what we do is what let's start with ai mm-hmm. like how ai is trained mm-hmm. you have this data and then there is this algorithm on which mm-hmm. data is uh, trained and when mm-hmm. the data is trained it becomes a model and on that model for example like uh, recommendation systems that you have uh, mentioned earlier like netflix recommendations or recommendations on facebook or amazon those 
recommendation models are trained on that data and how uh, data is collected and stored it is managed by the they collect the data monitor people and then collect the data and store over there mm-hmm. now the thing is that what edge ai the concept of edge ai is that the data will remain on people's devices mm-hmm. and it will be uh, trained and the models will be trained over there and then it will be used like in that way so the data will no longer be in access with the companies who want to use, perform uh, model training on them so the data will remain at the source mm-hmm. okay the data and the data it will remain in your mobile on your computer or mm-hmm. on, on your, your computer network. on your yeah. mobile okay like they have this very nice quote from francis bacon if the data will not come to the ai then the ai will go to yeah. there is a saying in in our part of the world which is very similar it says if the well will not come to muhammad muhammad must like come to the well very nice francis bacon stole that thief <laughs> right like some very smart people stealing as you can see <laughs> exhibit a right now let's move over to the next thing it's like the applications of decentralization like there are many and the finance side of the things it becomes decentralized finance or defi a lot of people might not be very concerned about how finance works or how they make money using thin air or whatever but youtube affects everybody and there is a play over here in the story which talks about that the biggest competitors to youtube would be coming from decentralized video platforms what constitutes a decentralized video platform like this person has some thoughts on that jeremy kaufman and like for good reason he is like youtube it means that basically if it likes you if if youtube likes you your story would do well or your episode would do well but if you are somebody new you need to climb all of the ladders and it might be very late for you before you get there so their algorithms are not objective decentralization would make it objective do you guys think based on the conversations that we have had like with the help of edge computing can we like create algorithms that are objectively fair algorithm is an entire different like there's an entire different research area again mm-hmm. and people are working on that bias free fair algorithms mhm and there are many ways to do that actually mhm you need to oh explain God, that said well you love... are too smart for us you need to explain <laughs> yes. these things to us <laughs> I love Cedra's left brain is yeah. just like doing the calculating and like doing the <laughs> analytical answer and I was just going to be like yeah <laughs> I didn't understand it but it sounded very rational <laughs> I should explain this, that yeah a uh, language barrier I might have explained things better in my own language <laughs> I know your language you could use that I can translate that that's one thing that I'm good at <laughs> there is this concept algorithm bias or ai bias mhm uh, companies have used uh, it used and abused algorithms to give answers that are like to get things that are like more you say are more that will help them more and mm-hmm. then again there are like 
the data is in that way that when algorithms are trained on them again the data is biased i'll give an example for example there are algorithms that for example zoom there was mm-hmm. a, a tweet on twitter in which uh, a person has shared his a professor who was black and he said that with background my my professor's face vanishes that tweet was quite uh, like uh, viral and the thing was that the, uh, that algorithm can could not recognize the professor's face and it was because the algorithm was not trained uh, to recognize black faces and mm. that was a racist algorithm actually then again there was uh, this very uh, famous tweet in which there was a picture of obama and and another white man and the twitter algorithm the cropping algorithm always picked the picture of the white person you can find it over on the internet we find it for us yes algorithms are biased and one of the reason that i'm telling you is that the data defected them, them is actually biased it depends on what data they feed them doesn't know yes not. exactly and if, and if you manipulate the unbiased data, data. Mm-hmm. exactly let me find the tweet and uh, in the meantime i guess also and Amy. yeah i they i think yeah it's no i lost my train i have a very simple example for that so look at all of these tobacco companies they are the ones commissioning studies or at least were doing that blatantly in the 60s or the 70s saying that smoking was actually good for your health like <laughs> they were doing all of these studies and because they were feeding their researchers or statisticians because they did not have the kind of computing power that we have today so they were getting these statisticians to present data in a way where it gave out the impression that smoking might actually be beneficial for you that kind of stuff still happens today doesn't it exactly. like oh, we're just going to morph the data to give out the impression that this exactly. is what happened <laughs> Exactly. That's how marketing works. There is a new car that comes out. It's it always has beautiful people next to it, right? Yes. That's how marketing works. Like how you present data, how you make people think. But yeah. Yes. And I was okay, going to say I like on the it. YouTube decentralization like platform or like decentralized YouTube, uh, I feel like the algorithm could be made if done correctly or by people who are going to feed it non-biased data are people going to adopt it is like another layer to it as well because youtube is a central place that everybody can visit that they know where to search they know what kind of content they're looking for they know where they're going to get generally but to learn a new platform would be another story that people and people will have to use the marketing to convince people to make the switch over sidra again you'll have to explain this tweet to us exactly uh, 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 also open this picture it this is one. face detection algorithm cropping algorithm and now open oh, another picture oh yes open the picture the next one open it and see i had no idea <laughs> twitter cropping the picture, picture the twitter algorithm cropping the picture algorithm to is biased the... to us for black people mm-hmm. yes mm. it's cropping the photo to the white man instead of yes. to obama 
even though he was in a different position both times, exactly. it still brings the attention to the white man as opposed to the black man. Interesting. Change yeah, it's like the whole, there are whole things on. Maybe it's color of the dye. <laughs> Is that? But. No, there are whole discussions and arguments yes. on yes. how the social aspect of algorithms are racist. Um, Sorry, exactly. the aspects of social media algorithms are racist. So Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the algorithms that push down content creators who are Black or LGBTQ+, or talking about Black Lives Matter or racial movements or things like that are getting pushed out of the algorithm. And, and Instagram recently rolled out something about disabling sensitive content that struck a really big chord with the people of color and LGBTQ plus community of content creators on Instagram because they're essentially trying to limit the quote unquote sensitive content that people see. But what they deem as sensitive content is a lot of what these people's platforms are based off of, but in more of a positive way. And they're still limiting the reach that these people have when they're trying to show trans people that they are accepted or whatever the case is, the Instagram algorithm will take that out as well. So mm. really interesting too. So I've always wanted to ask this question. So as somebody who is of an opinion that all of these tech giants, they are openly slightly to far to like further down the line on the left right jeff bezos owns washington post one of the most like left-wing newspaper but he is hated by the left but if i talk about twitter itself where jack dorsey says that twitter has always had leftist bias and it always will i don't have a problem with that what i have a problem with is then why do these all gather these algorithms that these guys create who say that they are left-wing or who are uh, liked by the people on the left-wing. Like, why is it that their algorithms try to paint a picture that somebody on the right-wing might do? Maybe might yes, is right and people are more and the data that you get. But they are That's trying to... But they are trying to remove all of these biases. If you have a, if you yeah. testing, there should be proper testing of these. But models. are they trying to remove the biases? Are They're they trying not, to yeah. remove it? Are they qualified to sure. remove it? Because these are the people who say that Facebook had a lot of their employees like resigning during the Black Lives Movement thing because yeah. Zuckerberg mm -hmm. probably said you cannot do that while you are working over here. They resign, right? So these are the kind of people who feel strongly about a particular subject. These are the people who are building these algorithms. Are they missing it deliberately? In your opinion, because nobody knows what's happening. Or is it something like more pernicious? I would pernicious. say that deliberately. Deliberate. I think it's deliberate as well. I don't know what pernicious means, but I think it's deliberate. <laughs> so basically like pernicious, I know the word from the word pernicious anemia, which means that it creates like problems at a smaller level and then it like keeps on going. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so but again, so, me, we might be biased as well against. I know child. I am. <laughs> I'm yes. as well. Me, right? me too. So, 
<laughs> like because they have a leftist bias i hate them for that not because they have money but yeah, yeah. so that is where uh, these questions on decentralizations and ais would need to be answered i patently believe that these guys are trying to do the right thing they are trying to uh, fish out all of these biases or these racisms or whatever of these theseisms that might be creeping into the system because of the system itself like for example let's say that they want to create a credit score based on the persons like whatever and because a particular particular country has had a history of imprisoning people and they take the data from who has been imprisoned obviously that particular race would have a very high chance of getting rejected or what not that makes sense but they are trying to remove these biases these systemic problems and hopefully they get to solve it but i haven't seen them moving the needle a lot on that i might be getting ahead of the picture but yeah this is what uh, some people have to do to show that they still have a long way to go Yes. Coming back to YouTube though. Should our videos be demonetized or we shouldn't have the right to monetize our videos just because YouTube doesn't like us? No. I love content creators. All content creators should have the ability to monetize their video because they put work and effort into it. Yeah. Check out what this guy is doing, a hacker and writer who created library and open source everything that open source these things digital marketplace built on blockchain it's it's libri <laughs> libri libri jeremy you know how, like startups and like tech companies they always have to have the special spelling of the company name <laughs> yeah and now i want to move to the other side of the puzzle which is the governments because they have to deal with this as well they are elected to take care of these things a country such as thailand is probably looking to have their own cbdc a cbdc is basically a center backed digital digital currency so they would say bitcoin is bad but if i create a cryptocurrency that's good and you can use it for payments or whatever very similar to how china has wechat india has paytm the us has venmo Does does Canada have Venmo? No. No. Canada needs to catch up. What does We Pakistan do. have? <laughs> right. We have philosophy. We have philosophy, right? Philosophy and shyly. Like Indians are fans of that. Oh, I've so. never heard of those. Never heard of philosophy. Nice. So coming back to this. So, do you guys think that? Uh, center back digital currency with the kinds of censorships that work like how we train data do not have biases would work can it be sufficiently decentralized where it ties back to where we all wanted to have social finance but is also free of the problems that creep in when we let the world run amok first of all i really like this featured image of this article is like exotic it's exotic right <laughs> What is it, Amy? I have no idea. It's um, Lord Buddha. <laughs> right. There are too many hands. For Buddha, has just two hands, I believe. 
Indian gods, they have multiple hands, period. And if they don't, they can have them. They leave it to the interpretation of the artist. So there, there are gods who have 33,000 hands. Where do they come from? Where do they go? No one knows, but it exists. So these are too few, like probably a smaller god. But yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is Lord Buddha, yeah. <laughs> Let's move. Oh, I didn't know I was going to get cultured today. <laughs> you have an Indian and a Pakistani on the panel. You are going to get cultured. Excellent. Let's teach her a little bit of Hindi and Urdu. Yes. Yeah, we'll do that offline, like after we wrap this podcast up. But like coming, I wanted to hear from you, Sidra, like where would your head be? Like, would you be willing to, for your goal of social finance, for having social control over your funds, like would you be willing to let the government train these algorithms or AIs in a manner where they say, or in a manner where they can make you believe that that it would be in your benefit? I would love that. I would love that. But the, again, that's something that, again, we have to believe that algorithms are not biased, that they are working fine. In some way, we have to believe that. Right. But yes, I would love that. Agreed. Amy, for you, a small piece of information. Tay, the bought by Microsoft, was very nice for two hours. Is two hours enough to make you believe get your vote and say, hey, this is nice. Give us the power. The second you give them the power, the vote turns racist. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, but what would you do? But the made you believe in the moment, it's more of a philosophy thing or more of a decision-making thing. Like whether you want to trust the governments or whether you don't want to trust the governments like what side would you want to be on i want to trust the government mm. i want to trust the government that I makes a lot of sense government. yeah yes so yeah so that is i guess the goals that these governments have in terms of centrally backed digital currencies the Bitcoin maximalists or the toxic Bitcoiners, they don't like it at all because they are like, this is fiat in a new bottle. They might mm -hmm. have their own arguments, but this is what I wanted to buttress that like for a lot of us, this is going to make a lot of sense because the benefits anyways outweigh whatever risk that the system might have. And with that, I'd like to have some closing words from the two of you. Let's start with Amy first for a change. Wow. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful podcast. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to say a few closing words. All the power to the decentralization movement. I'll see you on the internet. That's Thank you. All. How about I would say that with great power comes great responsibility. And the question is that how to like maintain this balance between power and responsibility when you're distributing power to everyone so that's the question we should be thinking right. about there's this saying which says absolute power corrupts absolutely so <laughs> <laughs> you want responsibility but what you get is corruption that's true right. 
But anyways, with that, like, thank you, Amy, and thank you, Sidra, for being on this podcast with me and hearing me out. I might sound like somebody who is at the very deep end of break all the systems, break the government and all of these things. But it's very sobering for me to have these conversations with you guys. So thank you for being on the podcast. And hopefully we'll be talking soon again. Bye. Sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, podcast.